This week on Physically Spiritual, we bring season four of the podcast to a close with an Ask Me Anything. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Like I said, on this week of the podcast, we're bringing season four to a close with an Ask Me Anything episode. So these are all questions from you, the listener, the people who have been consuming this season of the podcast. We just finished an uh, eight or nine part series going through food and an in-depth dive on the nature of food from everything from the soil to plants to animals to human digestion and appetite to the Eucharist. So if you haven't caught that, you might want to swing back and it'll make a lot more of these questions make sense. All right, question number one. Was the importance of breakfast really made up by cereal companies? What's actually the most important meal of the day? So this is kind of a two-parter question. First, there, there are a lot of, I don't want to call them conspiracy theories, but there is some evidence to suggest that um, this whole breakfast being the most important meal of the day was actually a I don't know, made up, but a, a marketing campaign by, uh, by different companies providing foods for people to eat for breakfast. I'm not going to wade into that. I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw some links in the show notes if you want to go deeper into that. But what's actually the most important meal of the day? What's actually the most important meal of the day? I would say this is completely dependent on your context, right? There, there's, there's a lot of uh, like bro science around this. So some people will make a claim that like you want to eat breakfast because it revs up your metabolism and you'll then lose more weight because it's like you're throwing logs on the fire. But then, but then it, it, that, that has a mistaken assumption that the fire will stay high once the fuel is gone. Like your body is just going to like ravenously eat itself for the rest of the day then or something like that. And that's just not the case. Your metabolism will just go back down <laughs> once it's done digesting those calories. Um, so I would say breakfast is an important meal, especially for people whom want to gain weight, who are underweight, or who might have another health condition that, that needs some kind of steady flow of calories. So you, when you think of your life and, and what you ought to do, it's good to, um, to like prioritize and tier things. And I think a helpful foil for, to do this is with the idea of longevity. Um, so the, uh, one of the, the number one things you want to do if you live longer is if you're really overweight, like the best thing you can do is to not be overweight anymore. Uh, and, and I would say even more important than that is like smoking. Like if you're a smoker, it should be like a no holds bar battle on trying to end smoking and whatever you need to do for the rest of your life to make that happen. Like that's going to be the most important priority for health. But after that, if, if you're, if you're obese, like that's the, the next step. And one of the most uh, useful tools that some people use is to time up their food. And a lot of people find it easier to skip breakfast than to skip other meals, right? So if you need to lose a lot of weight and you wake up in the morning and you're not hungry, I think a powerful tool is to simply not eat until you actually feel hungry. And that could be 9 a.m., it could be 10 a.m., it might not be till 1 or 2 p.m., uh, but but simply not to just throw calories in just to do it or for some ideological reason that you have because of maybe an advertising campaign or something like that. Now, with that said, if you're at uh, an ideal weight or, or nearly ideal weight, and especially if you're aging, 
one of the, the next things you want to consider is your long-term muscle and bone health. So as you get older, and I've said this a lot, as you get older, uh, your ability to digest and process protein, the efficiency that your body will uh, process protein goes down. So as a result of that, um, you want to be uh, really careful, I think, to make sure you're eating sufficient protein, especially as you're aging, and especially if you're trying to build lean body mass or get stronger or more muscular. And, and there's a reality we need to face that our body can only digest protein at, at a certain rate. Uh, so let's say at a meal you consume, consume 40 grams of protein. Okay, well, well, for your body's capacity to actually process that, your body, and this is a bit subjective, might only be able to process like 30 grams of that at that meal. And then the rest of that protein is just going to be deaminated and maybe flipped around and used for energy or, or maybe urinated out as excess. But over the course of the day, like, like I'm trying to build lean mass is one of my goals. So I'm actually trying to eat one gram of protein for every gram of lean mass that I estimate is on my body, right? So that's like 160 to 170 grams of protein every day. That's a ton of protein. So this means that in order to get that much protein, I actually need to have four meals in my day in order for my body to reasonably process that much protein, right? So in, in my context, like when I was losing weight, when I was almost 400 pounds and losing weight, it was actually pretty important for me to skip breakfast most days. Because what I found is then for the rest of my day, there was a, a net calorie deficit. I just didn't eat till I was hungry or even pushed into my hunger a little bit, understanding that my body could use all my excess body weight for, for energy. But then once I got to a body weight that I was happier with, and through that 200 pounds of weight loss, my, my body had lost a lot of muscle mass, right? I switched my priorities to, well, while I'm in my 30s still, and my body's more efficient at processing protein, my body is more capable of building muscle mass, I'm gonna shift my focus to, to rebuilding that muscle mass that I've lost, right? So now I prioritize breakfast in a way differently for that reason. Anyways, all this is to say is that breakfast might actually be a really important meal for you but it also might not be a very important meal for you. Another thing to consider is generally people's bodies are, are better at processing carbohydrates and sugars early in the morning. So some people propose that, um, that if you're going to skip a meal, dinner might actually be a better meal to skip. Now, there's a couple things to, um, to wrestle with this because one, like that's really countercultural. It's going to make it hard for you to live. It'll be really disruptive to your social life. And number two, for a lot of people being excessively hungry can disrupt their sleep or their ability to fall asleep. Right? So all this is, is actually pretty subjective. So I would say for you, sort out like, what are your priorities? What are your goals? And, and try to figure out like, uh, kind of a step-by-step, what makes sense? Like, is it more important for me to lose weight right now or to build muscle mass? or to maintain my muscle mass? And then um, how does this then affect my lifestyle and my preferences? And then you can make that choice as to how important breakfast actually is for you. All right, question number two. What's the biggest benefit of cutting out one specific type of food from your diet? The, the person says like not eating carbs or not eating meat or only being allowed to eat one specific thing, like meat only, someone that goes on a carnivore diet or something like that. I would say that the, the biggest benefit to a diet like that is the effect it has on your satiety signaling. 
Satiety just means when you feel full. Right, so if you if you cut out a whole um, a whole area of food in your diet, one of the the biggest signals to eat more is with novelty in your brain. Um, it's, it's, it's quoted sometimes. There's an episode of the old show Man vs. Food, right? There where this guy would go out and do these eating competitions. And this guy has this like massive bowl of ice cream he's trying to eat in a food challenge. And he's just shoveling down this ice cream. And at a certain point of the challenge, he requested a basket of French fries. Right? It might be counterintuitive to think, well, he's having to eat all this food, all this calories. Like why on earth would he add more calories onto the food challenge? And he, he did this because he understood that by introducing this different flavor pro t- profile, by introducing salt, something savory into it, it would actually trick his brain and his satiety signaling to allow him to eat more. So you're, you're tapping into this, this powerful uh, reality of our body that when we eat a lot of the same thing, we actually get kind of tired of it. And the body is like, well, we've had enough of this. right? And, and then you've cut out a whole kind of another category of food and, and it and it can affect your society signaling powerfully. Now, with that said, today there's a whole like commercial complex around these these diets of like no carb or, or vegan and all of that. So what they, they have now is there's a lot of um, like fake low carb foods or fake vegan foods. Um, so you can get low carb ice cream and low carb cookies and low carb bread and all this stuff, <laughs> right? So if you go low carb and you're eating all of this like fake processed stuff that simulates the other, you're not going to tap into that benefit. And I, and I think a lot of people that attempt a low carb diet, but they don't actually change what they're eating. They just switch to low carb alternatives will struggle to actually lose weight. And this is one of the reasons they're, they're not taking advantage of this very powerful uh, phenomenon in the body of the satiety signaling. And it's even a more powerful signal when somebody goes like carnivore and they eat meat only. You know, I've done a couple months of carnivore in my life as like an experiment to kind of change things up. Um, And what I found is like after a few weeks, like I was just tired of eating a lot of the meat that I was eating every day. Uh, So you just end up eating less because your, your body doesn't want more of it. All right, question three. How can a person discern when they need counseling versus spiritual direction? I offer coaching and spiritual direction to people through my website, becominggift.com. I don't talk about it in all the episodes anymore, um, but I think this is where this this question kind of comes from. It also kind of swings back to season three of the podcast where we talked about mental health. So a few things. I would say one is that counseling and spiritual direction aren't contradictory to each other. So just because you have a counselor doesn't mean you might not want also want a spiritual director. And just because you have a spiritual director doesn't mean you don't need counseling or, or want counseling. And then there's another possible option here of coaching. So uh, a couple quick definitions. Counseling is it's, it's a process with a, a mental health professional. So it's a, a licensed profession by the state. And it could be a psychiatrist who's a medical doctor who's then might be licensed to counseling. It could be a psychologist who has a, a PhD in psychology who's then licensed to do counseling. Or it might be somebody with like a master's in social work who then has this license to do counseling. So depending on their education background, it's going to change the kind of the nature of the relationship. Because right? only that MD, only that psychiatrist could prescribe some kind of medication. So a counselor a lot of times would work in collaboration with your your doctor, with your uh, 
primary care physician in order, if you would, um, based on that physician's evaluation, require a medication. So that mental health professional is going to be providing some kind of a clinical diagnosis of you, most likely. Right, so, so in those conversations, they're trying to identify something going on that's in line with something in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And this is a, a big book that sort of defines different mental and emotional health problems with codes. And then that mental health professional uses that code to then bill insurance for the services you're receiving. So if you're working with a mental health professional, you can, you can bill those fees uh, to your insurance typically. Now, some counselors choose not to utilize that system. They find uh, the need to diagnose and use the DSM overly um, you know, restrictive to their process. So it's not, not a universal thing. But just know that they're, they're ap- applying um, set and, and medically tested uh, principles of how to, so how to approach whatever your diagnosis is. So that there's almost protocols involved or different styles of counseling. Things like um, examples would be cognitive behavioral therapy. They could be still be using psychoanalysis. It could be something like MBSR, mindful based, mindfulness-based stress reduction. It could be EMDR, which is a process of, um, of using different uh, physical artifacts to, to affect the person's perception to then enter into a different counseling state. They could be using somatic experiencing. So there's all these different modalities of counseling that have been developed by, by scientists and researchers that have been tested uh, to then demonstrate their effectiveness for what you're being diagnosed for. So it's a very uh, evidence-based approach too. On the other hand, spiritual direction is more taking a, a general look at your entire spiritual life, your relationship with God, your prayer life. And one of the primary goals of spiritual direction is to help, uh, help walk you through the ages of the spiritual life, right? So to actually make progress, to get closer to God, to make progress on eliminating sin from your life, to make progress on uh, faithfulness in your daily prayer life, and to make, to make progress um, in, in growing a deeper sense of God's will for your life. So there's a, there's a discernment dynamic that happens in spiritual direction. What do you think God's doing in your life? What do you hear God telling you in your prayer? Uh, how does this make sense in light of, of your life as a whole? What do you feel like the Lord's calling you to do next, et cetera, et cetera? So the counseling and spiritual direction are, are, are pretty radically different in their content. There is an overlap in that a lot of times it's a one-on-one interaction. Um, sometimes you might be talking about similar things in your life, similar struggles that you might have or something like that. But the spiritual director is going to approach it in a very different way. Also, um, sometimes in spiritual direction, the director might be praying with you or praying for you. If your director is a priest, you may also be going to confession as a part of that process. So I would say I I don't see counseling and spiritual direction as as contradictory realities. In general, I would say if, if, if you do think that you struggle with some kind of mental or emotional difficulty, like depression, anxiety. Um, There's some way that you really feel kind of out of control, a compulsion, an addiction, or something like that. I would would recommend counseling because spiritual direction, although it could be helpful for all those things, it really isn't designed in the same way to address um, some specific mental or emotional health challenge. All right, I'm not going to go deeper on that. Question four, 
If you were only allowed to eat the same meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? If you were only allowed to eat the same meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, just a bit of a personal question for me. Here, here's what the meal would be. It'd be steak, broccoli, steak and broccoli. I would have a salad. And then I would also have some high-fat, low-carb ice cream at the end. So the one thing about a meal is just because it's there doesn't mean you need to eat it. So I probably wouldn't eat that ice cream every meal, but I would eat it sometimes because it would be pretty good. So that's the meal that I would choose for the rest of my life. All right. Eating healthier, exercising regularly. Question number five or six. Eating healthier or exercising regularly. And I think what this question is getting at is simply, how should we prioritize these things? And, and I would make two caveats. Eating how you eat is going to be the biggest lever in your body composition, meaning how much body fat you carry and even how much, um, how much lean mass you carry on your body. If you crank your calories way down, it's going to bring down your lean mass and it's also going to bring down your fat mass. It's very difficult to do one without the other. On the other hand, if you crank up what you're eating, increase the calories, it'll determine you're going to get bigger. It could be lean mass or it could be fat mass. So a lot of times when people are talking about losing weight, what they're talking about is losing fat. And they want to keep their lean mass. They want to keep their muscle, their bone density, the integrity of the connective tissue throughout their body, the health of their skin. Exercising regularly, on the other hand, is actually one of the, the biggest levers, one of the biggest things you can change in your life for your overall health and then also your longevity. Like if, if you look at research around what are, are factors that correlate with a long lifespan and, and more than a long lifespan, a long health span, meaning the amount of your life you actually function well, like not those years that are difficult at the end where you're like lying in a hospital bed or sitting in a nursing home, but what actually determines like the length of time you can be at home and, uh, and functioning, it's really exercise. And, and there are factors that measure in like your VO2 max, which measures the, the, um, the efficiency, the capacity of your cardiovascular health, and even some odd measures like how long you can hang just like holding your body weight, which is kind of a good proxy measurement for your overall strength versus weight ratio. Like how much can you, uh, can you move with your body versus how much your body actually weighs. So from this perspective, I want to draw it back to some of the priorities I talked about in the first question. Like if, if you're smoking, like the number one thing you can do for both your overall health, your longevity, et cetera, et cetera, is to stop doing that. Secondarily, then, if you're really obese, like that's the next priority. Like even though like exercising is, is great for your overall longevity, like it might not be reasonable or healthy for you to exercise because you might injure yourself or cause some kind of stress to your body that's unhealthy. So in that case, like doing whatever you can with your diet and lifestyle to reduce your body weight is going to be the next biggest priority. But then once you're at a healthy weight, like just eating right probably isn't going to have a powerful enough signal uh, to affect your overall health. So this is where I think exercise then takes the priority when you're, when you're in a healthy state. What I mean by that uh, isn't just like healthy weight, but I would say also um, people might struggle with food allergies or um, 
or autoimmune conditions or, or other health difficulties that might dictate um, focusing more on food for the long term. All right, next question. What is one whole food you couldn't live without and what's the best way to prepare it? So the whole food that I couldn't live without is cow. And I say cow on purpose because it includes the ground beef, it includes the steaks, it includes the roasts, it includes the bone uh, to make broth or to get the bone marrow out of it. It includes the organs, the, the whole gambit, right? A cow is like a buffet with four legs. Um, and and my, my favorite way to prepare it, I, I love grilled meat, like charcoal, wood fire, gas grill. But if I can't grill because it's like it's winter right now, it's really cold outside. And I'm not going to sit outside in 10 degree weather to grill. I, I typically prepare it in the broiler in the oven. So just like high heat, blasting it from on top in the oven. Um, next question. What's a good first step toward overcoming a bad habit? What's a good first step toward overcoming a bad habit? I think for me, the best first step to overcoming a bad habit is to talk to someone about it. Talk to someone about it. The darkness hates the light. You know, I, I've heard an adage a lot of times of like of lust and other bad habits uh, around sexual compulsions and stuff. And it's, it's that lust is the athlete's foot of the soul. And so there's nothing better for athlete's foot than like light, dryness, and to kill that because it feeds on the darkness and the moistness of being hidden away in your socks or whatever. So, so the, the first step toward overcoming a bad habit, I think, is to, to share it with somebody. It could be a spiritual director. It could be in counseling. It could be um, in confession. But I think even sharing it more with, with your spouse, with your close friends, and having that, uh, one, that light on it. Because one of the, the biggest things that can perpetuate a bad habit is shame. That, that kind of shameful dynamic of, like you, you do it, you feel terrible, you might have some negative self-talk involved, so then you beat yourself up about it and then you feel awful, but then you're probably continuing to do it because it provides some kind of positive benefit to you, like it makes you feel better, like, like eating causes pleasure or how, like sleeping 12 hours a day or like, um, you know, watching that stuff online or, or, or gambling or whatever you're doing probably creates some kind of a, an effect of the pleasure chemicals in your body. Right? So, so feeling bad is actually going to drive the behavior you want to change. So this is where we're talking to somebody can break that cycle of, of shame, negative self-talk, and then self-medication in a loop that perpetuates the bad habit. So talking to someone, having the experience of somebody else's acceptance of their love, of their support is, is super positive. But then also there can be even more dynamic in that, in that, that person might then provide a healthy layer of accountability to you, which can then strengthen your will and, and help motivate you and provide the support you need to then make the right next right choice. So the good first step toward overcoming a bad habit is talking to someone. Next question, can you be fit without working out? When they say fit, I think there's, there's two different ways people use this term fit. On the one hand, fit is sometimes like a descriptor of somebody's appearance. Like, oh, they look fit, meaning they're like both thin, but then they look like they have some muscle on their body. Like they look like they could do something athletic, right? So this is what sometimes some people mean by fit. Other people, by fitness, they mean fit is like fitness, like an actual measure of the performance of your body. Like cardiovascular, like you don't get winded if you run. You have some strength that you can 
pick some stuff up or move some stuff around. Sort of like you can you can do more than function, like the baseline of what you need to do to get by on a day-to-day basis. So I'd put this in two categories. That one way of thinking of fit is like, you're not just skinny, but you also have a little bit of muscle on your body. I would say you can look fit without working out if you have the right genetics. Like one of the hugest factors in body composition is your genetics. And there's a lot you can do to change that with your food and your diet, but you're probably not going to just by your willpower, by your strength, by the behaviors of your body, like replicate the figure of, you know, somebody that's like a bodybuilder or something like that. Um, you might be able to approximate that, get close, but, but like a, a lot of this is, is controlled by, um, by the genetics of that you've gotten from your parents. Um, so some people I think really easily maintain that figure, maintain that look without exercising or even changing their diet. But on the other hand, that the other definition of fit of like being able to function beyond the, the day-to-day needs, uh, your cardiovascular health, your strength, your balance, et cetera, et cetera. I think this really, you can't accomplish this without some kind of exercise. And then having kind of a balanced approach to exercise too, that you're, you're challenging yourself cardiovascularly. You're, you're challenging your, your muscles with progressive load of, of some kind of weightlifting or calisthenics. Well, thank you so much for uh, everyone who submitted questions for this AMA. I hope you've enjoyed season four of the podcast. We did the mini series on fatherhood, the longer series on food. We had a lot of great guests on. We got over episode 100 of the podcast. So thank you so much for everyone who's tuned in. Uh, Look forward for uh, more content. As I talked about in the the live stream episode for episode 100, we're shifting the format a little bit. And in past years, we've done seasons of the podcast where episodes come out every week. And then I've taken breaks to, to build new content out, to research, to write the content for the next season. But then in between season three and four of the podcast, we released episodes on an every other week or every three-week basis, and that went really well. So I'm, I'm shifting the, the format for a while where we're going to start publishing on an ongoing basis where we don't take breaks, but the episodes are going to come out about every other week. And this way, my hope is that I can continually produce the content without having to take the breaks. But on the other hand, uh, putting out an episode every week is sort of an impossible turnaround time. And I really want to keep the episode quality up for you all too. So I hope you'll continue to turn in for this next uh, chapter of Physically Spiritual. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.